This is the Shameless Audacity Podcast, and I'm your host, Jessica Fernandez. I'm a mom, wife, pastor, and professional educator. I'm bold about my faith, and I'm obsessed with you becoming the woman God created you to be by speaking life into your circumstances. We will be discussing God, family, career, and ministry. Some of you will agree with me and be like, yes, girl. And some of you will be like, oh, no, she didn't. Either way, I'm going to teach God's truth authentically and with shameless audacity. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Shameless Audacity, and I'm your host, Jessica Fernandez. And this week, we're talking about part two, dream builders. If you didn't get a chance to listen to part one, dream killers, make sure that you go back and do that. You don't want to miss it. In that episode, we discussed six ways you can identify people in your life who kill your dreams, passions, and ideas. We talked about Genesis 37, where Joseph's brothers tried to kill him because he had two dreams that meant that he would be in a place of authority one day and his brothers would bow to him. I also talked about my journey to earning a PhD and all those dream killers that I encountered. I had difficulties in finding people who were supportive of my dream, but God made sure that I married a dream builder. Come on, can we say thank you, Jesus? My husband, Richie, was cheering me on the whole time. He watched the kids while I was studying. He made sure that I stayed focused when I needed to. He made sure that I took a break when I needed to. He made sure that I ate when I needed to. He made sure that I had all the tools and resources necessary to be successful while I was working on my dissertation. I remember during years four, five, and six of writing that dissertation, it was horrible. Just thinking about it is giving me nightmares. There were 16 milestones that I needed to complete in order to get my dissertation done. But not just complete each milestone, but each one needed to be approved by a committee of people. During my third year of working on my dissertation, I didn't even have a topic approved yet. It took one full calendar year to get approved. And in the fourth year, I was finally able to get my topic approved and my research proposal approved after many many, many edits and revisions. But it was during that fifth year that I really wanted to quit. The student loans were piling up and at this point, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to finish. I was not getting any more approvals and I was unable to move forward. I just felt like it was completely hopeless. I really thought that I had reached my intellectual limit and I thought I wasn't smart enough to get me to the finish line. I had to spend so much time and effort trying to finish that it felt like it was never going to end. I thought I was never going to get my life back. All the hours I put into this goal. I woke up early every single morning. I worked every single day. After work on my dissertation, I barely had free time on the weekends because all my free time was working on that dissertation. I couldn't find people to participate in my research study and it felt like every time I sent my dissertation to my mentor, she had a thousand revisions for me to work on. I tried to find other people who had worked on a doctoral degree and try to get advice from them, but I quickly realized is that there weren't a lot of people who are willing to help me be successful and achieve this goal, even though they understood exactly what I was going through. You see, successful people aren't always dream builders. They have learned how to build their dream, but are unwilling to help others build their dreams. There were so many nights that I cried in front of that computer thinking, I'm never going to get this done. And my husband would come in and he would listen to me cry and he would listen to me complain. And then he would tell me, you're going to get this done. He kept reassuring me that one day I was going to get an approval. And then another day I would get another approval. And then another day I would get another approval until one day I was finally done. 
And that's exactly what happened. After three years of working on that dissertation, I finally got an approval and then I got another approval and then I got another approval and finally got my last approval and passed the dissertation defense where a committee asks you questions about your dissertation and your topic to make sure that you can defend your research. I remember feeling this huge sense of relief when my dissertation mentor told me I had passed my defense. At that moment, I couldn't believe that I was finally done after six and a half years of working hard, taking classes, studying all the time, all hours of the night, missing out on fun activities, family events, and serving at the church. I was finally done. But it wasn't just my victory. It was my husband and my family's victory as well because they supported me through the whole thing. My husband never let me convince myself that it was okay to quit. He kept pushing me to move forward. He kept encouraging me to move forward and he provided support in ways that I didn't even realize I needed. Like when I was working too hard and he would come in the room and he'd say, come on, babe, I'm going to take you to the movies and we're going to go out to eat. He knew exactly what I needed at different moments during this challenging time. Or the times where I would cry and he would just be there to listen to me complain. And when I started getting those approvals, he was there at each one reminding me that I really could do it and that the end was almost near. When I finally made it to graduation in New Orleans, Louisiana, I remember putting on my regalia, walking to the lobby of the convention center with my family. I had to go line up with the other graduates and I told my family goodbye and that I would see them later. And as I walked away, I felt a tsunami of emotions come over me. And I started crying because I couldn't believe after all those years, I was finally done. And I actually accomplished something that I never thought I could accomplish in my life. Graduation lasted an hour and my time on the stage was probably the shortest 10 seconds of my life and very anticlimactic. But it doesn't matter because I did it. You see, Richie is the real life dream builder. This was not the first time that he had encouraged me to accomplish great things. He encourages me in my career. He encourages me in my ministry and my calling. He encouraged me when I was a stay-at-home mom. And he encourages me to continue to be a good wife. Well, at least I try. In part one, we spoke about Joseph in Genesis 37, where his brothers tried to kill his dream by killing him. Joseph goes from his father's house to the pit, then sold into slavery to Potiphar's house, where he became Potiphar's personal assistant. Then he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife who accused him of trying to rape her because he wouldn't willingly sleep with her. Then Joseph is sent to prison. Then from prison, he ends up in the Pharaoh's palace. No matter where Joseph ended up, no matter the circumstances, no matter what his eyes saw or didn't see, Joseph was a dream builder. He helped build others' dreams while waiting for God to fulfill his dream. He wasn't hyper-focused on his own success, but willing to empower others to be successful. So today I'd like to talk about eight ways to identify a dream builder. See, number one, dream builders are people of action. I want to read to you Genesis 39, two through six. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned, 
With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. You see, Joseph was a dream builder because he was a man of action. God was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything that he did, even in the home where he served, even in the home where he was a slave. You see, it doesn't matter where you're working, where you're serving, where you're volunteering, or what exactly you are doing. Whatever dream builders do, they do it with excellence. Everything Joseph did and everywhere he was prospered. See, Colossians reminds us of this in in chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. It says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. You see, that's exactly what Joseph did. Joseph was working as he was working unto the Lord. Keyword, working. That's why dream builders are people of action because they work with excellence, knowing that they're not serving man, but they are serving God. See, the second way that you can recognize a dream builder is that they help others accomplish dreams, even though they haven't accomplished their own. Not only was Joseph a blessing to Potiphar when he was running his home, but even when he was thrown in jail based on the false accusation of Potiphar's wife, he was helping others with their dreams. While in prison, because the Lord was with him, he was the warden's favorite, and he put him in charge of all the prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. And the Bible says that the Lord was with him and caused everything to succeed. While he was in prison, he helped the cupbearer and the chief baker by interpreting their dreams. He told the chief baker that after three days that he would die, and he told the cupbearer that his dream meant that he would be resu- restored to the position in the Pharaoh's palace. What I love so much about this is that Joseph was not afraid to tell the baker that he was going to die. That's because dream builders tell you the truth, even when it's not what you want to hear. See, ladies, this is why it's so important to surround yourself with people who love the Lord, people who fear the Lord, people who live for the Lord, people who have the word in their hearts and are a living testimony to God's word. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That's exactly what God has us in each other's lives for, to tell each other the truth in love, even if it's going to hurt that other person. See, the Bible says in Matthew 18, 15 to 17, it gives us a recipe of how we're supposed to correct each other. It says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. See, this is exactly what God wants us to do. God wants us to pour into each other's life by being able to tell each other the truth using the word of God. Keyword, using the word of God, right? It's easy to tell someone the truth and to hurt their feelings, but that's not what God called us to do. God called us to hold up the word of God, to be a mirror unto ourselves. And we use the word of God to help our friends grow because that's what dream builders do. Dream builders focus on solutions and not problems. I love this so much. A couple of years later, the Pharaoh has a dream that no one can interpret. And the cupbearer who is now in the palace remembers that Joseph um, had helped him before interpret his dreams. 
So Joseph interprets the, the Pharaoh's dreams, but he takes it to the next level by providing a solution to the upcoming events that God was revealing to Joseph and the Pharaoh. See, I love that so much because not only does Joseph interpret the dream, he provides a solution for Pharaoh. Now I want us to read in Genesis 41, 25 to 30. And it says, Joseph responded, both of the Pharaoh's dream mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. So here he is. He's interpreting the two dreams that the Pharaoh had, and the two dreams mean exactly the same thing. So there would be years of prosperity and then there would be a famine. And so I love this so much, right? Because in 33, Joseph is like, okay, I've told you what's going to happen. I told you that there's going to be seven years of prosperity and then there's going to be seven years of famine. Then it says in verse 33, therefore Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one fifth of all of the crops during the seven good years, have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses, store it away and guard it so that there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise this famine will destroy the land. See, this is exactly what dream builders do. They focus on solutions and not problems. Now that would not have been worth anything for Joseph to go over there, tell the Pharaoh about the seven good years. Oh, and by the way, it's going to be followed by seven years of famine and then end it. That was it, right? No, he went above and beyond because whatever he did, he did unto the Lord. He did it with excellence. And so he provided a solution to his problem. See, dream builders can see what others can't see. They have vision. God showed Joseph what was going to happen and he was able to cast the vision to the Pharaoh. He had the solution. He told the Pharaoh exactly what needed to happen so that they would be able to overcome the coming famine. See, dream builders focus on, on what you have now that can help you accomplish your dreams. Genesis 41, 35. And I just want to read this to you really quick. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that they are just ahead and bring it to the Pharaoh's storehouses, store it away and guard it. Dream builders focus on what you have now that can help you accomplish your dreams. He told the Pharaoh what he could do now. Joseph focused on what they had now and what they could do to solve the problem that they were going to face in the future. Dream builders help you see that everything you need to get started in your dream, you have already. You don't have to wait. If God has placed the dream in your heart, go for the dream. Trust me, God has given you enough resources to take the first step. And then when you complete the first step, God will give you the, the necessary resources to complete the second step. And then God will give you the resources to complete the third step and the fourth step and the fifth step. 
You see, sometimes when God gives us a dream, we want to think of the end result. And we think of all the things that we don't have and all the resources that we don't have to accomplish that dream. God didn't ask you to think that far. You see, when we start thinking that far, what we're doing is we're trying to be God. And we're trying to think about the thing, all the things that we don't have. But you see, we don't need anything else because God is a God of provision. See, dream builders focus on what's available and it helps us see that we are more equipped than we think. Number seven, dream builders hold on to the vision even when the circumstances say otherwise. During the famine, Joseph's brothers show up looking for grain. They didn't recognize him, bow to him because he was second in command governor in Egypt. Joseph recognized them instantly and he remembered the dreams that God had given him where he and his brothers were tying up bundles of grain and Joseph's bundle stands up and his brother's bundles bow to his bundle. The second dream where the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before him. Dream builders will hold on to the vision no matter how long it's been, no matter what the circumstances look like. When it finally happened, Joseph recognized it right away. All those years and Joseph never forgot the dreams that God had given him that his brothers would bow to him one day. Joseph held on to that. And I can imagine that while he was in prison, he held on to those dreams. He held on to that vision that God had given him. And I can imagine that it was those dreams that sustained him through every difficult moment of his life. In those moments where he wanted to give up. See, number eight, dream builders speak life into your dreams and circumstances. You don't need people around you that are going to speak death into your circumstances. You need people that are going to speak life. And when I say that they speak life is that they speak words of encouragement, words that motivate you. They speak God's word over your life. They remind you of the dreams when it's easy to forget them. And I can imagine at that moment when his brothers are bowing to him and Joseph is thinking, even though he makes them go through a couple of trials, if you continue to read the story, ultimately his family was able to be provided for because Joseph held on to the dream that God had given him. See, I, I want to give you a little something to think about, whether it's friends or a boyfriend or a potential boyfriend. If you want a dream builder in your life, they have to serve the Lord. They have to serve the Lord. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. I think sometimes we try to convince ourselves that, that, oh, they're good people. I love being around them. They're so much fun and all those things are great. But when we're trying to surround ourselves with dream builders, the Bible tells us exactly how to do that. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. Now, I don't want you to misconstrue this at all. I don't want you to think that what this means is that, oh, we need to run from people who are sinners. First of all, we're all sinners. That's the first thing. 
right? But what this is saying is that, is that how can I, if I'm going to choose a partner for myself, how can we have one vision if my partner doesn't serve the Lord? Or how can I be best friends with someone who doesn't serve the Lord? Because now we have two different visions. We have two different paths and two different destinations on where we're trying to go. It's impossible to be able to have someone who serves the Lord and someone that doesn't serve the Lord go in the same direction. Do you want to fulfill God's purpose for your life? Then you need to surround yourself with dream builders while setting boundaries with the dream killers. This is not something that you do once. You will need to do this consistently throughout your whole life. And I wish I could tell you, oh, this is only something that young people do. Oh, this is only something that middle-aged people do. No, for the rest of your life, you will be having to analyze the people that are around you and determining, are these people dream killers or are these people dream builders? I want to ask you a couple of questions. Are you purposefully seeking out dream builders? If not, pray that God would surround you with people that would help you build the dream that he has given you. Are you a dream builder? Are you intentional about building the dreams of others in your life? Do you use your talents, abilities, knowledge, and resources to pour life into others' dreams? If no, pray that God, uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit, would let you see opportunities where you can help build others' dreams, that you would have the desire to be a dream builder. If you like the show, you might want to check out our ebook, 10 Ways to Becoming Whole. You can find that at www.jessicafernandez.com when you subscribe to my website. Thank you for joining us this week on Shameless Audacity. Be sure to go to www.shamelessaudacitypodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show using your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. Please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts so that I can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Share with someone who may need to hear this message. And remember, God has called you and me to speak God's truth with shameless audacity. Thanks for listening and see you next time.